Okay. So I got a call on a late Friday night. I'm literally walking out the door. Uh, one of the desk assistants grabs me. Someone's on the phone, and she desperately needs to to talk to me. So I get on the phone, and it's this lady who I've interviewed in the community, and she says, my neighbor can't find her mother-in-law's body. And I was like, what? She was like, yeah, they lost her body. Terry, we need your help. From KYW News Radio in Philadelphia, this is Scroll Down. I'm Tom Rickard. Today on the podcast. And I'm like, first of all, it's 8 o'clock on a Friday. I'm ready to go. This sounds crazy. This lady's, she's tripping, right? I get on the phone with her neighbor, Sandra Pasley. And she tells me that her mother-in-law, her mother-in-law, her son just found out that her mother-in-law had died six months ago. And they didn't know where she was buried. They didn't know what happened to her. And no one called them and no one told them anything. And they needed our help. She didn't know any of the details. And so this sort of started me down this rabbit hole trail uh, on the search for grandma. Grandma was beautiful. Heart of gold. What do you wish? What do you wish had happened? Just give me the answer. All I want to know is what happened to my grandmother. When and why weren't we informed? It's, you know, this, it's tough. I mean, guardianship, it's not even a system, right? It's just kind of a patchwork quilt of pulling things together. You know my name. You got numbers. So how do you not know how to contact us? Are there any requirements about the guardian having an affirmative duty to contact next of kin or have any communications with family members? Um, no. What's up, Cherry? Hey, what's up, Tom? <laughs> You're a lawyer. I am. And a reporter here at KW News Radio. I am, yep. You've got a whole lot of papers in front of you. I do. Can you tell me what you have? Well, I have the Guardian's Manual, all the court records that Mr. James Tyler filed in the Ruth Pasley case, some articles that relate to guardianship and some of the issues with guardianship. A full notepad full of my notes from different calls, et cetera, et cetera. The person at the center of all of this is a woman named Ruth Pasley. What did you find out about Ruth? So Ruth Pasley was 85 at the time of her death. But before that, Ms. Ruth was a Teacher's aide, a grandmother of two, she had one son, didn't have a lot of money, lived in North Philadelphia, um, had been living uh, in an assisted living home that was state run near 17th and Susquehanna. She had kind of been living on her own, but she had a case of dementia. And over time, people in the neighborhood had started scamming her, convincing her to give them her money and stuff like that. Her son passed away, so she didn't have a lot of people looking after her. She had neighbors and friends and things looking after her, but, you know, she was just prone to be scammed. The Pennsylvania Corporation for Aging got involved when she couldn't pay her rent because she had been giving her money away, and they decided to intervene in in the situation and get a guardian appointed. And this was in 2015. At this point, she only had two living members of her family. She had a grandson named David Wilson and a granddaughter who was much younger. 
You have a case where the guardian is appointed by a judge in the Philadelphia Orphans Court. The guardian comes in, moves Miss Pasley from 17th and Susquehanna, which is near where she lived her whole life, to uh, a place, a rehab facility, Sheltonham Nursing and Rehabilitation up on Sheltonham Avenue, which is a significant track for individuals in Philadelphia who don't have transportation. She was moved there in 2015 when her guardian, James Tyler, took over. So over time, the visits to her dwindled. She wasn't very good on the phone. Her dementia got worse. She didn't really remember people's names. And I think the last visits she received were uh, in uh, 2017, right before Christmas, right around the holidays. Everybody had kind of talked to her around the holidays. And then I guess, you know, life happened and people didn't check on her after that. And she died. I believe she died either the 31st of December or January 1st of the year. They didn't learn for months that she had died. David Wilson was the one who learned of his grandmother's death in the most jarring way. He actually learned that his grandmother died on July 9th 2018, the actual anniversary, the four-year anniversary of the death of his father. This is where you come in. This is where I come in. Okay, and just say, um, just say your full name for me. David Wilson. And a roof pass we was my grandmother. <laughs> So tell me how this all began, because this, this, first of all, tell me about your grandma. Grandma was beautiful, heart of gold. She was a teacher. Even after she finished teaching and retired, she would still do tutoring. So she's tutored a lot of kids, various areas of the city, me at times. Always moving, heart of gold. David has uh, a sick son uh, and and a young daughter. His son has Crohn's disease. David works three jobs. Three. <laughs> delivers bread. He does all kinds of things. He works for a funeral home. This is very ironic. So with three jobs, you have family too? I have a boy and a girl. My son is a little older. My daughter is 12, so, you know, just... Kids, three jobs. He loves his grandma, but, you know, he has a lot of responsibilities. Yeah. He, he wasn't the best when it comes to... Uh, seeing his grandmother. He paid for her to have a phone. How was she on the phone? The memory was a little bit off and the repetitions of certain questions. But other than that, she knew who I was. You know, she would ask how everybody was doing. But he kind of relied on other people to kind of keep track of her and things like that. Um, And he thought, you know, he was sad uh, when the guardian came in because his cousin had been doing I've been kind of doing the check-ins and things like that because he was so busy, he couldn't do it. When did you find out, when was the last time you saw your grandma? Unfortunately, it was before December. Probably November, I mean. I think that was the last time I was up that way to really get in to see her. He was derelict. Let's just make it clear. You know, he wasn't, he didn't do the best of calling and checking on his grandma his sister didn't do that. Miss Sandra Pasley, that was her ex-mother-in-law. They didn't check on her. No one really did. And when she died, the guardian didn't call anybody. He just buried, he, on, the, on the paperwork that I saw, it said no family. So he just did whatever he did. 
and and that was it. So Mr. Tyler took over in 2015. <sighs> yes. And did y'all go see Grandma then? Talk to her? How was the relationship after? It made it a little bit harder for us to get up there because they moved her a little further up. With her being in North Philly, it was a little simpler because my sister lived around the corner. My mom, you know, we could all get to her. Mom is, you know, driving-wise, doesn't want to take too far of a drive. And, of course, a little bit older. It, it just became a little more tedious compared to being able to see her maybe twice a week. And then it dropped down. And then work-wise, it made it a little bit harder to get up there to see her. Can you walk me through what happened to David Wilson in July of mm-hmm. this year? I talked to David about a week after, a little bit less than a week after he discovered that his grandmother was dead. And so, you know, this is, I got to ask you this. You know, people going to wonder, so she passed away December 31st, 2017. When did you find out that she, how did you find out that she passed away? I found out July, well, we found out July the 9th. He told me that he uh, had gone to see her. Uh, he and his sister had gone to the nursing home, Sheltonham Nursing Home, after going to visit his father's grave yeah. site. It was, unfortunately, the anniversary for my father passing away. You know, his father had died. Four years ago. And so he went to go see his grandmother. We went up to go to the cemetery to see him. When we came back, we stopped through, and they said she had been transferred. To, to another place. And, of course, his inquiry was like, okay, well, why didn't anyone call us? You know, where is she? And they said, look, we can't tell you any more information. And then I needed to call... Call back up on Monday, talk with the director. That Monday, which was July 9th, I believe. When I called Monday, the director said to call to Mr. Tyler, um, which is her guardian. So he calls James and says to James, like, okay, why didn't we get a call? He told me that I needed to talk to Sheltonham Nursing Home about various situations or what was going on. Then all of a sudden it was, okay, she passed away in December. So it took you three, how many days to even find out that she had died? It was a day from the time from the, that Sunday we went, which was on the 8th. We found out that Monday I had called him that morning. He called me back that evening with a few things in between. He finally decided to say what was going on. But then it was, you know, smart remarks behind it. He said that James Tyler was very sarcastic. In reference to time. Well, why you just called him now? Why so long? Whatever different things that he was um, yeah. How did that make you feel? Uh, we can turn the camera off, I can tell you. He said, well, since you work for a funeral home, why don't, you, why don't you use your powers from that funeral home and go find out where she's buried, and good luck to you. And basically refused to give him any information about her final resting place, what funeral home was used to prepare her body, or anything. And I think that reluctance um, or that, you know, the attitude that Mr. Tyler displayed is what really upset him. I don't even think they would have called me or tried to find a journalist or get any other help had Mr. Tyler just said, look, I apologize for your grandmother's death. You know, you should come in. Um, I'll pull up the file. Just come in later today and I'll make sure you get everything you need. It probably would have ended there and I would have never heard about this story. Just give me the answer. All I want to know is what happened to my grandmother when and why weren't we informed? His whole thing was we couldn't contact you. You know my name. You got numbers. So how do you not know how to contact us? And I actually asked him that. And he said that he, you know, because he hadn't been in contact with his grandmother for so long, 
his own guilt wouldn't have allowed him to pursue anything. But because Mr. Tyler was so mean, he was like, I think there, there, this shouldn't exist. And there has to be other people that are suffering. If he was this mean to me, what could he be doing to other people? So him not calling your family, what did that take from you? It take a goodbye. It took a goodbye from us. It took us. It, it took us being able to say how much we loved her. And just the fact that there are other people out here that do care and love her the same way, it took that from them as well. Because she didn't just touch our lives, she touched a lot of lives. At the time of the phone call and the couple days after when you're wrapping your head around this, mm-hmm. I'm sure you went into this with a couple of basic questions that you and the family were trying yeah. to find out. Well, it was basic. We didn't really think that this was I didn't really think it was a major problem at first. But I thought, you know, it should be pretty easy to find out, you know, where she's buried. I mean, they can't you know what happens to a body once you die. They they bury you. They have a funeral or something like that. So the red flag started when I called the nursing home, Sheltonham Nursing and Rehabilitation Center on Sheltonham Avenue. And I called just to see if this story was even true. And so I called and I said, I'd like to speak to Ms. Ruth Pasley. Make sure, I mean, she could, you know, they transferred me up to a nurse's bay. The person said, let me go check, you know, and put the phone down, not really on hold, and yelled, is there a Ruth Pasley here? And someone yelled back, she's died a long time ago. And then someone gets back on the phone and says, hey, look, um... Yeah, you need to call back on Monday. She's not here. We're gonna, we're gonna, we need for you to talk to somebody. Another woman who was a social worker on the case. And then I called that Monday. And I said, look, you know, I'm calling on behalf of the family. I just want to know what she buried. If so, where, you know, what happened to her body? And they told me they couldn't give me any of that information because of HIPAA law. Um, David was told the exact same thing. So he couldn't even find out, you know, where his grandmother was buried. And um, any further communication would have to happen between me and James Tyler, the guardian. I reached out to Mr. Tyler multiple times um, on the phone. I would say about a half dozen times uh, between phone calls, messages left on his voicemail with his assistant and via email. He never called me back. He finally sent me an email saying that he told the family all he has to say. And that was it. And so, therefore, we had to kind of go on this, you know, wild goose chase to try to find Grandma. So, you started tracking everything down. Mm Mm-hmm. What was your investigation like and how how long did it take before you got something concrete? What it entailed was me meeting him at the orphan's court so we could actually get the paperwork surrounding the case. So we went down there. I literally made a list of all the funeral homes within a 10 mile radius and went down the list calling each and every one of them to see if they've ever heard of Miss Ruth Pasley. And of course, none of of them had We also called the state to try to get a copy of her death certificate, but they don't just give death certificates to anyone. We were told that you have to go get, um, you know, a registration of wills or a certificate of letters or something 
um, from the orphan's court, which costs a couple hundred bucks. That's the other thing. Every step of the way costs money. It was just a lot of work to be able to nail this down. It's very difficult to get information on incapacitated individuals because it's sealed from the public. Kind of like juvenile records, if you were trying to get that, it's very difficult. What were you able to find out about James Tyler? What I could find is that Mr. James Tyler's expertise is in immigration law. And what I've been told is that he is a guardian ad litem for a number of elderly individuals who are uh, under supervision of the court. Some folks have told me that the number of folks he represents is definitely in the scores, if not hovering around 100. And I should say, at 100 bucks a month, if you assume he could possibly be making about $10,000 a month um, just from being a guardian. Did you try to get any information from the Pennsylvania Corporation for Aging? Well, I, I reached out to them multiple times. We played a lot of phone tag. And when they finally got back to me, they refused to go on the record. Instead, they gave me this statement. They said, PCA does not comment on cases in which it may be involved due to confidentiality issues. Eventually, this comes together. Mm-hmm. And, and one day, you, you found her. Yes. Can you walk me through that day? It took us almost a month to find her body. The big break came. David went to the nursing home. This, okay, August, okay, August the 6th. He had made several calls and several communications, but he finally went there and then somebody literally out the grace of God, niceness, just said, look, man. Well, I can't give you this. I can't give you that. I can't really tell you, and this is against the rules. But... but I can at least give you the individuals. Check out this spot. And they told him. The funeral home that we dealt with. Just go up there. Don't tell anybody that I told you. And and good luck, man. I, I feel really bad for you. So once I got that, then I went over to the funeral home. Marcellus Dublin. I called the number. He called me back within maybe 10 or 15 minutes. The funeral home guy. He gave me the information that I needed. And he was sorry and apologetic. Oh, my God. Like, we were told that she didn't have any family. We, we had no idea. They are the ones who pointed us in the right direction with regard to, uh, to the cemetery. The day when he called me up and he said, Cherry, you know, we figured out, you know, what cemetery she's in. I said, can we come with you guys? We're going to bring a camera. I, I don't want to be intrusive, but, you know, we want to witness this. In its real form. And he said, of course. So I went to the home of the family, interviewed them first. And then we literally followed them to the cemetery, which happened to be in Montgomery County. So she was buried outside of her own community uh, in another county. (laughs) It took us 45 minutes to get there. got really lucky, though, because the caretaker was actually in his truck leaving the property. But he turned around and came back because he saw the news truck. The gentleman got out. He spoke to us. David explained what, why they were there. He told me that she passed away uh, the 
Yes, and um, December the 31st. Yes. You have the DC. Yes, you do. Aren't they supposed to, aren't the nursing homes supposed to be trying to contact family? Yeah. When someone passes away? Exactly. Yeah, we had no contact with any family because. This is the family right here. It's basic, this is us. So we have no way of knowing. Yeah, it's not, we, I know. Like I said, I, I deal with it, so I know what's going on. Had nothing to do with y'all, nothing to do with him. Uh, the gentleman went inside, found a map, you know, looked it up, found her, and then commenced to drive us to a section of the cemetery where Miss Ruth Pasley had been buried. No, matter of fact, uh, he said there was no family coming. Right. Because I wrote on the order, no tent, no chairs, and I think uh, uh, direct burial. So he was going to bring it right to the right. cemetery and bury it. Right. So, uh, yeah, on the 10th. We got on January the 8th, and we buried her on, on the 10th. He called me on the 8th, and we buried her on Wednesday, January the 10th, at between 11 and 12. Cool. Okay, I'll show uh, you. Come out of there? No, not yet. My mom came out. So you said right down here? Yeah, I'm going to drive down there. Okay. I'll come back and lock up. When we got there, we all parked. Um, I told them to wait a moment so we could set up a camera. I mean, it was very awkward. And then they got out their car. We filmed it. And um, that's sort of where any kind of orchestration ended because their reaction was so raw. Miss um, Sandra Pasley just started wailing. <laughs> She was in pain. She was crying. The granddaughter was just stunned and just stood there. David Wilson um, just stood there with his sunglasses on and I just saw tears like coming down his face and he just looked so incredibly shocked. No, 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 no headstone, no nothing yet. He said, this is it. This is where she is. She had been buried in a public plot with four other bodies. The man who was the caretaker of the cemetery didn't even know whether Miss Ruth Pasley was buried on top, on the bottom, in the middle. And it looked like the dirt had just been dug up again and um, another body had been placed. Um, so, you know, and, and they typically bury about six bodies in those public graves. So it's probably another one by now that was placed even on top of that. She can't stay here. She can't stay here. She can't stay here. We gotta get her out of here. He showed me the ticket um, that had her name on it and it said it was $900 was the amount of money um, that it was exchanged. And, um, and it said no family on it. And that to me, um, kind of stood out because there was her family standing there wailing 
um, at her death. The agony that I witnessed of that family was excruciating for me. Uh, and it was, it was just really, really sad. And I thought about it because I love Margaret. I had two grandmothers. One I was really close to, who I saw all the time, and one who I wasn't very close to, who I probably checked in with maybe once or twice a year. And, and people may say, well, you know, look, this guy didn't see his grandma for months. That's his fault. There's, you know, she, she only had two living relatives, her two grandchildren. Um, and, you know, we have family members and some of us are those family members who aren't the most attentive. Right. You get caught up in your life. You work in a whole lot. You got a sick kids. You got an ex-wife who's demanding things. And you don't pick up the phone and you don't check on your loved one. And so there may be great aunts, uh, grandmas, or whoever who you have literally have not seen since Christmas. And it's October, okay? And so you didn't pick up the phone and you found out they died five months ago. It could literally happen to any of us. And so we were immediately thinking, like, whose fault was this? Clearly, the man, you know, the family, the Wilson family, you know, David, didn't do what he was supposed to do. But... He thought in his mind, and rightfully so or wrongfully so, that because his grandmother had a guardian, there was someone who had both of their eyes on her. But when I looked into this issue, I found that the guardians, the rules governing what they're supposed to do is so lax and so vague that what happened here, which is the basic modicum of decency that someone would contact the next of kin when someone dies did not happen and the way that it happened was not illegal and in some ways not even really unethical based on the rules as currently written how something like this could have happened coming up next on scroll down welcome back to scroll down so i'm going to walk to right here okay Three, two. I've been told that Miss Ruth was buried here on January 10th of this year. Her file said no family. Four other bodies share this grave. Okay. I know. I know this is a bigger question. Yeah. But what were the cracks that all this information? fell through well there were multiple cracks in the system number one there's the the requirements for guardians the bar is very low what they're required to do is just make sure that they file this annual report they're supposed to make sure that the person is safe and that they're in a place that's clean and things like that give me the list of sort of duties are they supposed to visit the person are they supposed to contact the family and Tell them if there's a change in the circumstance. They're required definitely to make regular reports to the court. They're re- required to visit the person, although there's no requirement for how often. I'll introduce you to, so I first spoke with Diane Menio. She runs Carrie. I'm the executive director of the Center for Advocacy for the Rights and Interests of the Elderly. We also call it Carrie. But is there a duty to notify them? Uh, that's, a, that's a little more challenging. Uh, it's not, I don't know if it's written out. I mean, the judge, the judge can order anything they want. 
So if they, if the judge says, we want you to make sure that this person has a plan for when they die, they, they have to do that. A lot of the other things are more subjective. She just said that there is a major issue with the guardianship structure in Pennsylvania generally. There's really no one giving any oversight whatsoever of this process that deals with our most vulnerable people. There are people who feel, especially if they're not local or they're not close family, that, you know, if they have a guardian that they're taken care of. That's not necessarily true. Things need to, it needs to be monitored more closely. And if you talk to people in the courts, you'll get you'll hear about that. They don't have the resources to do the kind of monitoring that they should be doing. Recently, there had been an elder task force that was set up and they identified 139 recommendations that need to be implemented in order to fix the problem in Pennsylvania. We're trying to change some of the practices around guardianship to protect people. It's challenging, though, because the statute, as it exists now, requires people to report, but it doesn't require a whole lot beyond that in terms of how they do it and what they do. They also have no duty to the family, okay? So they don't have to call the family or anything like that, but the family can call them. So there's not a a rule that a court-appointed guardian has to contact the family of the person they're looking out for to tell them when they die. No, there is no rule that says that. There is nothing in the guardianship procedures that I downloaded from the Philadelphia County website that says that. The rules are very lax. But the basic duties under the law are, I feel like it's just following a report, visits, and I mean, that's the only thing that seems to be spelled out. I'm not even sure visits are spelled out, are they? I don't think so. I think really um, it's unclear what a guardian should be doing. The other person that I spoke to was Keelan Barry. She's a professional guardian and she's a, she's an elder law specialist. I have been a guardian for about, I think about 14 years. She was part of that task force for Pennsylvania that made those 139 recommendations And she believes that many individuals who become guardians do abuse the system because it is so vague. Because the rules, to me, are so loosey-goosey. They're so loosey-goosey. You have a responsibility for making decisions, really, that will ensure the safety of the person for whom you're serving as guardian. But within that... What does that really mean? So are there any requirements about the guardian having an affirmative duty to contact next of kin or have any communications with family members? Um, no, I, I don't think so. I think the statute, the statute would say that, you know, as the guardian, you should respect the stated wishes of you, the person under guardianship to the greatest extent that you can. I do believe if someone throughout their life has been in close contact with their grandchildren, for example, as a guardian, I I consider that to be a stated intent, that you want to try to stay in touch with with the grandchildren. She only represents 37 individuals because she says that you cannot provide a good service on a massive scale just because it's too much work. So Mr. Tyler, basically under the rules, he was simply supposed to make sure that she was taken care of at the nursing home, make sure that 
her money wasn't being taken, that whatever fees that she owed was getting paid. And he got paid $100 a month from her SSI check to do that. Now, I've been told by multiple guardians that this amount is not uh, sufficient to be able to really be a true guardian for somebody that is to visit them on a regular basis and do the true things that you need to do in order to make sure that this person is okay. And so basically what Mr. Tyler did was file a yearly, an annual report on her behalf with an accounting of her money. He was supposed to have accounted how many times he visited her. And I don't believe he visited her, but like once during that time. Uh, don't it's, it's not clear whether or not he made any calls. So for about $1,200 a year, he filed this annual report, made probably a call or two on her behalf. And that's basically it. And under Pennsylvania law, the day a person dies, the guardianship ends. This is not a, a lucrative business. So the only way that individuals can make money is by doing volume businesses, right? You know, 100 at $100 a month is like 10 grand, right? So you can make $10,000 a month, but the amount of work uh, related to each one is very minimal. I think... You had a situation where you had a guardian doing the very base minimum of what he was required to do under the law. And you had a family that was distracted and did not was not diligent with their own loved one. And that caused this information to kind of slip between the cracks. So it doesn't surprise you that the next of kin was not contacted in this case. It sounds to me from the limited information that I have, like the the um, family was not staying in contact with mm-hmm. the guardian and was not staying in contact with the nursing home and was not staying in contact with their grandmother. And in that case, I think it, you know, the guardian didn't have contact information for them even. Yeah. They, there wasn't contact information recorded with the court. The file that was in the record with the orphans court was incomplete. It had David Wilson's name, but it did not have his contact information. So he probably wouldn't even have gotten the court information. Although somehow he received it when they wanted to institute the guardianship. Right. But they couldn't reach him when she died. So I'm just not sure. I understand their frustration, but I also think they have some responsibility for letting the guardian know that they're interested in the welfare of their grandmother Mm -hmm. and letting the nursing home know that they're interested in the welfare of their loved one. Um, To expect the guardian to figure that out, I wish that it had happened differently for the family. I really do, you know, and I understand their pain and their, I I really do understand how hard that must have been for them. But really, you know, they they have some responsibility here, too. But I think that if Mr. Tyler had been more diligent, he probably could have located Mr. David Wilson if he wanted to. I just don't think that he felt obligated to. And and I'm not sure about the nature of their relationship. Uh, Mr. Wilson did not communicate with him or have a working relationship with him. And so, you know, Mr. Tyler was like, whatever. His guardianship ended the day she died. Any duties he had ended with his her guardianship ending. And so I'm sorry this happened to your family. You know, 
I know we had to, we went out to the court. <laughs> I didn't realize how hard it is to navigate. And and I'm a person, I'm a, you know, attorney, practice law with all this stuff. And it was tough for me. And I called other lawyers who didn't know. They never heard of this. Okay. Didn't know what, it was a lot of confusion. And so is there anything you want to say? I know that there's a... To Mr. Tyler, I mean, are you? If I were to tell you that it's not against any law for him not to have, called, like, he didn't break any law by not calling. Your reaction to that realization? Common sense, common courtesy. Even if you, even if we do call, you haven't called. I understand that. But when I do call, or when the call came to you, you don't have to get smart. You don't have to. Oh well, I see it such and such number come up you work for such and such it don't make a difference all I wanted to know is where was she the runaround that was given to us from that is is crazy we shouldn't have to get a runaround if you just say listen come on up we'll talk about it whatever do you think it's safe to say that this has probably happened before this is not the only time this has ever happened it probably has happened before um there have been and and you know it doesn't happen often where people actually like try to find a journalist of course but um i believe keelan said that there had been instances where it had happened before i'm sure people had a great uncle pass away and no one knew till he had been dead for like a year or something and they're like uncle so-and-so died what happened and no one knew there's a lot of gaps in the law. Things that seem wrong may not be illegal. When I heard about this, I was outraged. I was like, first of all, I didn't believe that somebody lost their grandma, you know, grandma's body was missing. But when I realized that that had happened, I thought this must be illegal. There has to be some law that says you can't do this or that they had to have done something. But then I realized it wasn't illegal. It just seemed morally wrong to have this happen. And so I think it was a warning that you need to be on the lookout for your loved ones and families. And also that there's a lot wrong with this system. You're mad at James Tyler, right? But he's representing dozens and dozens of people. And $100 a month per person is just not enough to be able to provide the type of support that they really and truly need. And so folks need to be getting paid more. There probably needs to be more guardians, but it's not easy work. So a lot of these folks don't want to do it because, I mean, if you got 100 people, one person dies and, you know, maybe an assistant or somebody doesn't follow up. I mean, it's very easy for something like this to happen. This family was just so hurt by it that they actually reached out for help. But I'm sure there's a lot more going on quietly that none of us know. How does the family feel right now? The family is, well, David didn't respond to my texts and emails for a little while. He said he needed to put some space between it, kind of get his own emotions together. But after a few weeks, he started responding again, and he just apologized for his absence, saying that, you know, it took a real toll on the family and that, you know, in some ways he blamed himself for not being as diligent uh, with his grandmother as he should have. But he was happy that the process allowed him to get some form of closure and that at the very least, he knows where she is. He did say that he was going to follow up and try to see if there were any of her final um, things remaining anywhere. But he wasn't getting anywhere with the nursing home and no one seemed to know anything. And so 
This, unfortunately, was going to be his closure. You've, you've been working on this for months, and I'm, I'm wondering if there's one or two big takeaways that, you know, the, the things that are kind of looming large in your mind. I think the lesson for me is if you have a loved one, call them, check on them. Even if they have a guardian or somebody, you still need to make sure that that guardian is doing what they're supposed to do. No one's going to love your grandma your great uncle, your great auntie, like you do. No one. I'm feeling really guilty for not visiting my grandmother recently right now. (laughs) Yeah. Go visit. I will. Call her. And call the nursing home. Like, people are in nursing homes. I mean, I think even if you're out of town, like, just calling them and knowing, like, look, man, this is my phone number. This, you know, someone does love this person. And Keelan says this, you know, schedule a monthly call, like the first Wednesday of every month. You just call. And even if she can't talk on the phone, you call the nursing home. So at the very least, if she passed away that Wednesday before, it'll take a month. But, you know, at least it won't be seven, six, seven months before you find out that she died. Terry, this is an incredible story. You did a lot of really excellent reporting on this for a long time. Where can people read the story, follow the rest of your reporting, what what you do online? Yeah, you can um, find me on kywnewsradio.com. You can search Terry Gregg. You can search Flashpoint, which is on the weekly public affairs show that I um, produce and host. And I'm also on social media. Um, It's my name, Cherry Gregg, and that's C-H-E-R-R-I-G-R-E-G-G on all platforms. You know, I do this out of love. You know, my my mission in life is to um, educate, empower, and positively influence the world through journalism and communication. So that's part of what I'm hoping that, you know, people are empowered by this story, that they're educated about this system and that it has a positive influence on their lives and the way that they love the people in their lives. Cherry, thanks so much for making the time for the podcast. I appreciate it. Anytime. Scroll down is excellent, and great job to you, Tom. (laughs) Thank you so much. And that's it for this episode of Scroll Down. A big thank you to Cherry Gregg for releasing this story on the podcast. While you're plugged in, make sure you subscribe to her podcast. It's called Flashpoint. It's a community affairs show about big issues in Philadelphia and all over the country. It comes out every week. Just look for Flashpoint wherever you get your podcasts. Scroll Down is hosted and produced in the KYW News Radio studios in Philadelphia. Follow us on Twitter at Scroll Down Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at T Rick. That's T E E R I C K. I'm Tom Rickert. Thanks for listening to Scroll Down. I'll talk to you again next time.